Romans 12, verse 1. Let's read it together. Ready? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. As we think about Memorial Day weekend, we think again of the ultimate sacrifice that, again, 1.3 million of our soldiers and servicemen and women had given over the years in different wars. We think of that ultimate sacrifice. But one thing that is a little bit different for us is that God calls us, through the inspiration of Scripture here, not just to give our lives, because once you give your life, you've given your life. That's it. But the thing is this, God is calling us to do something a little different, and that's to be a living sacrifice, to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so, uh, kind of the way to frame this as we get into the message today is this, can you think of someone maybe in your own life that has influenced where they were basically uh, just the testimony of Jesus Christ, the mercies of Christ, they went above and beyond, just every part of their life spoke of Jesus. Maybe that person influenced you. Maybe that person was maybe instrumentally leading to the Lord or maybe growing up a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a neighbor, maybe a godly grandmother. The list goes on and on. I can think of several in my life that have been exactly that in different ways, that they were that living sacrifice. Everything about their life it poured out Jesus Christ and the mercies of God. One such person... In, uh, in just uh, in hymn history is uh, Frances Havergal. She was a hymn writer, wrote many of our hymns that we sing. Uh, and Frances Havergal, and I've, I think I mentioned this, it's been a while, but I mentioned her name before. She died at the age of 42. She actually had several health issues, uh, and, uh, but her passion uh, in her life was this, that her passion, her heart's desire was to have a personal spiritual influence upon others. That was her heart's desire, to have a personal, spiritual influence upon others. I think it goes without saying that in each and every one of our lives, that when we look at discipleship and how we grow in the Lord, you should have three types of people in your life. You should have a, um, a, a partner, someone who's like a Barnabas who kind of comes and encourages you. You need to have a Paul in your life, a mentor, someone who can kind of help shoulder, answer questions, show you the, the pattern for living, so to speak. And then you need to have a, a project in your life, like a Timothy, someone that you are taking under your wing to, whether it be your own family, your own children, grandchildren, whoever it may be, that we should be investing our lives in others by pouring out what God has poured into us, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. That just should be our heart's desire. Frances Havergal was exactly like that. She, her passion was to have a personal spiritual influence upon others. She poured herself into writing, whether it be poetry or songs. She was a noted singer, noted musician. And she also provided whatever resources she could for the spiritual benefit of others. Her famous song that we know and we'll sing at the end of the service is, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. A couple of verses of that I'll share in just a moment. But this speaks loudly of her heart's desire, that song. She served others because of what Jesus Christ had done in her own life as she received the mercies of God. She presented her body, as we've noted here in Romans 12, verse 1, as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Listen carefully to the words of the song. You probably hear the tune in your head. If you're not familiar with the song, that's okay. The words speak loudly of what her life was all about. And what our lives should be as well. 
she, she wrote, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Verse 3, and I'll kind of end with this. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. And there are several other verses that are there, but it echoes the same passion, the same heart's desire to have that spiritual influence upon others as Christ has influenced her life. As we think about a living sacrifice, and we look at this passage here this morning, you know, many in this world, when you think about a sacrifice, there's many people in this world that they try to offer sacrifice. They give sacrifices in order to receive mercy, in order to get mercy. But for a believer, it's actually the opposite. We give a sacrifice because we have already received mercy. This is exactly what the Christian life is all about. The world has it flipped upside down. The world is working. You can put religion X to it. I don't care what it is. But you see, over and over, they try to offer, they give, they do whatever penance they can in order to get some type of mercy from God. God, just hear me if I do this, this, and that. But the thing is this, for a Christian, it's the other way around. Because of the mercy we have already received, received from Jesus Christ, because of his death at the cross, his burial, and the resurrection from the grave, we have received that mercy. Therefore, I give my body to the Lord. I give everything I have to the Lord. And we can sing with Francis Havergal, Take my life, Lord, and let it be. This is our prayer that it should be. Again, because of we give a sacrifice because we have already attained mercy. By receiving the mercies of God through Jesus Christ, guess what? We gain everything. Praise God for that. So our reasonable or logical response should be to give ourselves to the glory of God. When you think of what Jesus Christ has done for you, pay the ultimate price, giving his life, body, and blood, it should be logical, reasonable for us that we give ourselves to the glory of God. You see here, the Christian life, living the Christian life is not about what you get, rather what you give. Now that you are a believer, now that you're, I'm speaking to the believer here, now that you are a child of God, your, your life is not about what you get, it's about what you give. Let me, for example, let me just ask you this, why did you come to church today? People give different reasons. I want to come to church so I, I can get fed. And there's some element that we need that. I want to go to church because I want fellowship. I want to see my friends and my family. And there's an element to that. But the biggest reason of what you do, so many Christians, we have a consumer mentality. Why do I come to church? So I can get something. But the thing is, is you go to church to worship God. You come to church to give to God. You do it through your prayers, through your giving, through your singing, through your listening, to the receiving of the word, to acting upon it. You come here to worship God. And guess what? You do that every moment of your life. You do that every day. Why is Sunday different? Because Sunday is a day we gather together. We call it corporate worship. We come together as a family. And we come together as a family to worship God together. And so when we come here, when I see your faces and we sing songs to the Lord, when we pray together, when we support one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, share scripture with one another, 
Our heart should rejoice in giving worship to the God. It's not what you get out of it. It's what we give. It's what we give to God. Now, we are saved by grace, not of works. So none of these works, coming to the church won't save you one bit. It won't do that. Just because you live in a garage doesn't make you a car. Okay? You get the point. But you come here to give, to give worship to the Lord. That's why you come here. The thing is this. As we come here, this is what this, is, this verse is all about. It's really directing our attention to really what our lives should be consumed with, and that is worship. That is exactly what Frances Havergal was writing, take my life and let it be. That is worship. She's giving herself to God. This is exactly what we should be as well. You know, in the Christian life, doctrine and duty go together. I like what Will, uh, Warren Worsby says about this. What we believe, that's our doctrine, helps us determine how we behave. What we believe about something determines generally how we behave. And so in the book of Romans itself, a, a beautiful, beautiful book. Have you ever taken time to just stop and soak in the riches of the book of Romans? Chapters 1 through 11 is, is a lot about doctrine, about the doctrine, the, the teachings, the fundamental teachings that we have in knowing Christ, knowing our sinful condition, knowing that about our justification, our assurance that we have, his faithfulness to Israel and even to us. And so these are important that we have. Guess what? All that doctrine builds up to something. We don't just get knowledge. You don't come to church just, oh, we learned about the Bible today. No, go practice it. Go live it out. Go give it to God. Worship. Worship with your life. This is what it's all about. So again, what we believe helps determine how we behave. So as we look at this, we're going to look at really four different areas here of this chapter, or of this verse, I should say. This is, first of all, as we think about this, a living sacrifice is based on the mercies of God. Again, Paul says here, I beseech you, or I urge you, I encourage you, therefore, brethren and sisters. Okay, you're not, you're not excluded, all right? By the mercies of God, okay? The word, it's interesting here that the word beseech or exhort, encourage, things like this. It's, Paul's not giving a command. He could, but he's encouraging almost as a cheerleader, almost as a school teacher to say, hey, it's time to put in practice what you've taught. Uh, this week has been a change in our family's dynamic. Linnea has now got her driver's permit. Pray for us. <laughs> now she's good but the thing is she spent weeks in going to driver's education doing the school and guess what now that she has her permit she gets to apply what she has learned this is kind of the idea that we have Paul teaching us as well because of everything I've taught you over the past 11 chapters now put that into practice now that Linnea you've learned everything there is to know about driving I, by the way you, you quiz her about driving rules, she's going to whip you, okay? She, she knows it inside and out. I'm proud of her, okay? Uh, and so, anyways, put into practice what you have learned. But the thing is this. We live by the mercies of God. The mercies of God. The mercies of God, where does that come from? The mercies of God flow from the cross. It comes from the cross. I like what Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says. The beginning, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy... He has saved us. We are saved by, again, his mercy, his grace 
through us. And we praise God for that. Again, the mercies that we've received, again, that happened. We gain everything at salvation. Pretty amazing. This sets us in a new course and a new direction. By the way, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I got good news for you. God says, whosoever will may come. You can come and know Jesus Christ personally. And guess what? That changes you, puts you on a new direction from death to life. Pretty amazing as we think about this. But as we think about the mercies of God, and you received it when you got saved, but what have the mercies of God accomplished in your life? What has it done for you? Okay, this is a little bit of what we get when we, when we are saved. First of all, this is a very brief, this isn't comprehensive, but again, it gives us a good idea. In Romans chapters 1 through 5, we read uh, about the mercies of God of the justification by believing. We are justified by faith. We are saved from our sins, but we are justified. We are declared righteous. Amazing. We are also in chapter 6 through 8. God, the mercies of God, enables us to live righteously, enables a believer to live righteously. Pretty amazing, again, as God has done that. And then we see in chapters 9 through 11, which is kind of its own section, but a beautiful section, we see here the mercies of God have accomplished God's faithfulness to Israel. And then, of course, as Gentiles, most of us here would be Gentiles, we've been grafted in to to that olive branch. Pretty amazing. So having understood this, understood the mercies of God here, Paul then urges us, he exhorts us, he beseeches us, to believe what we place, what we believe, and put it into practice. And so he begins this section by saying, therefore. Now, the word therefore, you always have to ask that question. What is that therefore? Therefore, okay? This is the fourth time in the book of Romans that uh, Paul mentions this. And it's interesting, it kind of really is an outline of the book of Romans itself. The first time we see the word therefore is in Romans 3, verse uh, 20, talking about our, uh, our condemnation. As, as we are sinners, that there's none that doeth good, okay? There's none that, that, is, that is holy, none without sin. It's talking about that, therefore. We are condemned because of our sin. The next therefore we have is in Romans 5, verse 1. This is about justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The next therefore we have is in Romans 8, verse 1. And this is talking about our assurance, Now that we are justified by faith, guess what? We have that assurance. The therefore is there. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. And now we come to this, therefore, the fourth one in the book of Romans. This, therefore, is now one of dedication. Therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is dedication, consecration, giving yourself to the Lord. And so everything builds upon one another. Paul is very logical in his presentation. Kind of helps us out in our Western mind, I would, I would say. But anyways, we see that a living sacrifice based on the mercies of God. We also see that a living sacrifice requires presenting your body. It says here again, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Presenting your body really brings us to mind the sacrificial system. When Jewish people of old would bring their sacrifices to the altar, is he has the idea of offering. Presenting means to stand before someone to give something, and it has the idea of to offer. Now, what's interesting here, when Paul's mentioning this, again, his audience, whether they be Jewish or Roman, didn't matter. They understood the concept of sacrificial system. 
in our culture, we don't really understand that really as well, okay? Unless you've probably been somewhere where they do sacrifices officially. But understand this, that the difference here is this, that Paul didn't say that present your offering, because when you did a sacrifice, you would give a lamb, you would give grain, you would give whatever it would be, you would give some type of object at least, something to God. Paul's not saying present something else. No, he says present yourself. You are the offering. You are the sacrifice. That is strange thinking when you think about it. Why should we do this? Because this, you are to present what? What are you supposed to present? Yourself, your body. And you have to think of yourself, what? what? My body? Take a look in the mirror, all right? When I look at myself in the mirror... God, I'm not much of a sacrifice. (laughs) You know, you could probably pick something else. You know, that's the thing. But here's the reality check about our condition. That our bodies, before we were saved, we were instruments of sin. That's Romans chapter 6. We were instruments of sin. We were sinful. Nothing good in us. Talk about holy, acceptable. We were anything but But here's the idea. Now that we are saved, your body is presented to God, to him, to to channel your body to show his righteousness. Your body is now an instrument of God's righteousness. Through you, God is using you to show his glory, to show his mercy to the world. Isn't that amazing? It really is. You see, as we look at this, the sacrifice is actually, there's three adjectives in talking about the sacrifice. The sacrifice is to be living. It's to be holy and acceptable. You could probably read it this way, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable. You could probably read it that way. Because why? To be a living sacrifice is not a once-for-all commitment. That would be a dead sacrifice. You can only give your body once. But rather, we are to be giving ourselves constantly, continually. This is a daily commitment. Hold your place there in Romans 12. Go back to Romans 6. I want you to see this verse. This is beautiful. It just jumps off the page. In Romans 6, verse 13, again, Paul's writing here, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God. The word word yield here is the same Greek word as present. Presenting your body is a living sacrifice. So yield or present yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Again, your body, God's plan for you is to display his righteousness and his mercies to the world. Through you, what once once a sinful body is now being used to show off his righteousness. That is absolutely amazing. So the idea is yield. It's the same thing as present. It's the same thing as to offer. And this is an idea. This is a daily commitment. The thing is, what gets in the way? It's our flesh, our old man. We still have it around. Until glory, we're going to have to deal with that. And so that's why we have a daily commitment to daily sacrifice ourselves, to give ourselves to God. It's a dedication to give ourselves all of it. Now, the thing is this. So many of us, we're a little bit timid or maybe afraid or maybe pride. We get in the way, God, I'll give you, I'll give you my hands, but I won't give you my feet. Sometimes we hold something back. And that's an incomplete sacrifice. But here's the deal. As a believer, there is no part of your body that is off limits to God. Think about that. 
There is no part of your body, Christian, that is off limits to God. You know what? That really sounds... uh, You could hear people grimacing inside. Man, I don't want to give all of me to God. Talk about the American freedom, American independence. I mean, no one can tell me what to do. Guess what? You don't belong to yourself. You are bought with a price, the ultimate price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which, by the way, is the temple of the living God, whose spirit dwells within you. You are not your own. There is no part of your body that is off limits to God. Say, ouch. All right, but that's true. In order to be effective to show off and display the righteousness of God, we must understand that. So we understand that, that this is a living sacrifice. This also sacrifice is to be holy and acceptable. The, the word holy there, meaning pure, of course, and acceptable means well-pleasing. Think of this sacrifice. By the way, the sacrifices weren't always for sin. Sometimes they were for peace offerings. It was not always lamb sacrifice. Sometimes it was goat. It was bullock. Sometimes it was grain, wheat, omers. There's other things like that that were also sacrificed. But think of this. The, the difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifice was not so much a lamb versus grain. There were no ceremonial laws given back then. Rather, it was a heart issue. It was what was pleasing to God versus what that was not pleasing to God. Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing God because of his heart situation. And that's the difference that we have us. The words that we have here, holy and acceptable, remind us of God's demands for the sacrifice of the Levitical system. They were to be pure and without blemish. You know what? There's only one sacrifice that could count for that 100% of the time. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Whereas sacrifices before... They would cover your sin, but only Jesus Christ could take your sins away. I like what Adam Clark, commentator, says on this passage here. All these phrases are sacrificial in in nature, and they show that there must be a complete surrender of the person, the body, the whole man, mind, and flesh to be given to God, and that he is to consider himself no more his own, but the property of his Maker. That's the thing. What this is calling for is complete surrender. To present your body as a living sacrifice is to present all of you, hold nothing back. And like Francis Havergal says, God, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Oh, Christian, if you could understand the freedom that is in presenting your body freely, God, do with me whatever you would have me to do. You would find the freedom that there is in Christ. And understanding this, that you are not your own, that you belong to a new master. And that's our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In that, we become well-pleasing to God. In that, we are holy because we belong to him. In that, we surrender ourselves. So we see that a living sacrifice is to be wholly acceptable. And then here's where it comes down to. This is where the rubber meets the road. By presenting or offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, this is an act of worship. This is where it says here at the end that this is your reasonable service. And the idea that we have a service is, is worship. You know, sometimes I think we kind of overlook, what do we call this, this hour? when we At 11 o'clock on Sundays... What do we call this time? We call them the service. This is our service. But think about that. What does that mean? It's not a meeting. This is 
a time of worship. Sometimes, and I actually had this conversation about a week ago with someone else, a different church, different denomination even, and we had, got on the subject a little bit about worship, and, and um, so many people think worship is limited only to the music program. Some people, they church hop to find that perfect worship time, which means what? Whatever music, I don't care what it is, they, they, that's their time that they're looking forward to, and guess what? That either sets up or it downplays the next thing, and then all of a sudden the preacher gets up and he just dampers the whole thing that just happened. You know, think about that. Now, here we're, we don't, we're not entertaining things like that, but here, the thing is this. Our morning service is a, it's really a morning worship. We come here collectively together to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for, folks. And doing that, I encourage you, Check self at the door. You come in and you, are, you belong to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, everything you do, when you give money to the offering, when you sing a song, when you pray, when you read scripture, when you're sitting with your family, you're doing that to give God 100% of yourself to his glory and his alone. And you can say, take my life, take my family, and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. This is beautiful in what we call it. Is it easy? No, why? Like I said, our sin, our self gets in the way. God, I don't want that. I got better things to do. There's a game on coming on at 12. You know, our minds are elsewhere. Whereas it should be, first and foremost, is here on our worship before the Lord. We offer ourselves to God willingly and intelligently. Like I said, Paul can't force you. You must do this. He's encouraging you. Why? Because, you know, he felt he battled this himself. That's true. But we offer ourselves willingly and intelligently. By offering ourselves willingly, God is pleased with our worship. And this is our reasonable or rational or logical service. The word uh, reasonable here is where we get the, from the Greek, is where we get the word logical from. In other words, it just makes sense that everything you do, this is an act of worship. By doing God's will, and as we see here at the very end of, of, of verse 2, maybe another time we'll get to verse 2, but it talks about doing that, what is the good and perfect will of God. A lot of people think, well, what is the will of God for your life? Doing God's will requires us to dedicate ourselves by submitting or surrendering to him. We, when we seek God's will, here's the thing. A lot of people seek God's will, but they're not really ready to obey God's will. Think about that. A lot of people, they seek God's will. God, I want your will for my life, but they're really not ready to obey it. They're really not ready to surrender all, as you think about that. But here's the thing. When we seek God's will, we must be ready to obey God's will, and obedience brings blessing. And our obedience, as one commentator says here, our obedience is the product of what God has done in our lives, not something we can manufacture of our own. A lot of times people live, even Christians, well-meaning Christians, they live by lists, rules, lists of do's and don'ts. Now, there are things that we should and shouldn't do, obviously. We don't get into that. But it comes not from you doing it, you forcing it. The idea is this is based on what God has already done in your life. I think this, when we think of obedience, and that is the key to presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, this, that obedience is the cord that ties us to the altar. Obedience is the cord that ties us to the altar. In other words, we're saying this as Jesus did at the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he went to the cross, he said, Father, take this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. He bound himself to the altar of sacrifice. By simply saying, yes, Lord, I will do that. That's obedience. That's the heart of obedience. As we think about this, the closing 
As, as we think about this, is this verse here, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, they present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Here's the thing. A living sacrifice leads us to new behavior. What you believe helps you know how to behave. A living sacrifice leads us to a new behavior. And having a renewed and trans, uh, transformed mind, that's verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So what does a sacrifice look like? A sa- is a sacrifice based on how much we do? Uh, Psalm chapter 116, verse 12 says, What shall I render? What should I give unto the Lord for all of his benefits for, his for, to me? You know what? There's nothing you can do in, in your own strength to get God's mercy and favor because he's already given it to you. Rather, because of what God has done, you simply say, Yes, Lord, I am here. I am available. There's several verses. You go through Amos, the book of Micah. How shall I come before the Lord? How shall I appear before him? Do I offer thousands of rams? Do I pour out uh, rivers of oil to him? But what does God want of us? To love mercy, to walk justly with our God. The closing section here of Romans, Romans 12 through 16, the rest of the, chap- rest of the book here, it really is calling Christians to live out the mercy of God. But here's this thing. Before you are merciful, you must be worshipful. As one preacher said this, God wants the beauty of your mercy, not the beauty of your face. He's not looking for some supermodel or or Mr. Muscle to do the work for him. Rather, God calls those who surrender their lives. I like what D.L. Moody said, and he quoted another preacher actually saying this, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man wholly committed to him or wholly consecrated to him. And that is true. As we think about this, God wants the beauty of our mercy more than the beauty of our faces. The beauty of Christ is the beauty of love and sacrifice, not the beauty of looks. The world has a totally different expectation and look at what what beauty is all about. But the thing is this, when you think about Jesus Christ, what does Isaiah chapter 53 say? He was dejected. He was despised. He was forsaken. We we could not behold his visage. And you say, that's beautiful? Absolutely, because he surrendered to the will of the Father. To have our bodies, to, for God to have our bodies, he wants our behavior. Worship is the way we live. Again, worship is not limited to a Sunday church service. What gets in the way of that? That's ourselves, the old nature. You see, true worship is offered in a surrendered life. True worship is offered from a surrendered life. The thing is this, if you come in, you're all full of yourself, you're not, you're not going to give worship to God. That's the fact is. I like what one quote grew up with this, this quote, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. No matter what you do in life, it's going to come down to that. You're either going to please God or you're going to please yourself through that. You worship or you serve God by giving your best to honor Him. Living to the best of your ability to work, the best of your ability in how you lead your family, how you do your daily tasks, how you are a citizen. By the way, when it comes down to being a citizen of this country, Christians should be the, the best citizen there is. Not in how much you do, but in the way you live. When you look at your workplace, your, your boss, your manager, whoever it be, should look at this, man, that person is the best employee I have. Why is that? It's not because of what you do. It's who you are in Jesus Christ. 
the way you lead your family, the way you are neighbors one to another. Again, it should be on how we live for the Lord. Your worship, your service to God begins by doing your best to honor Him. And here's the bottom line. The way you live your life matters to God. Do it for the Lord. In the Bible, we have two uh, great examples of what it means to be a living sacrifice. First was Epaphroditus in the book of Philippians. Last fall, we went through the book of Philippians. Epaphroditus, a servant of, of, of Jesus Christ, but a servant of the Apostle Paul, at the risk of his own life, he brought an offering from the Philippians to Paul while he was in prison in Rome. He was a living sacrifice on the behalf of the Romans. He used his body to be a blessing to others, to show the mercies of God. Another example we have is from the book of Hebrews, that we present our bodies or we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice by offering what Hebrews 13 says, the sacrifice of praise to God continually, not on Sunday only, every moment of every day of our lives, we give praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God will please. Let us present our bodies as a means to show Jesus Christ and the mercies of God. Let the beauty of Christ be seen in me. One person I will mention here, I don't think he'll mind because he's rejoicing in glory. Roger Myers. Marcy, okay. And you think, what can I do for God? What can I do for him? A lot of times we think we have to physically do something. Like, I can't please God unless I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm singing a special or I'm preaching or you put whatever you out there. We look at an action or performance. But the thing is this. What could Roger Myers do over the last months of his life when he's riddled with cancer, can't do much, he's in a hospital room? How can he give the sacrifice? How can he offer his body as a living sacrifice? He did it by giving honor to God. Whenever anyone came in, he just talked about Jesus. This is what Jesus did for me. How he got saved as a young, as a teenager at 16 years of age. As a cross-country runner, God stopped him in his tracks. God worked in Roger Meyer's life, even those moments where physically couldn't do much. But you know what? He gave every moment, every fiber of his being in those days to the glory of God. He prayed for people. He prayed for his family. He prayed especially for Scott. But anyways... But he did that every moment of his life. So don't think, I can't do anything. Look at Frances Havergal. She was, has so much health problems in her life. And yet she said, I want, my heart's desire is that I would be a spiritual influence on other people by writing songs, praying for them, encouraging them, playing for them, whatever it may be, that they know, may know Christ through me. The thing is this, when you're at the workplace, when you're at your school, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're with your family this Labor, or the Memorial Day weekend, Let other people see Jesus Christ in you by being his hands and his feet, his voice, his feet. Every fiber of your being, let it be. There's a chorus that I think it's in our our brown hymnal. Maybe we'll sing it another time. But it says this, Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. As Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be a living sacrifice and show the beauty of Christ.